This is a CCRI radio podcast. New content every week from students at the Community College of Rhode Island. Listen, watch, read, and get involved at ccri.edu slash studentmedia. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. I'm Josh Lozell, and this is the show Hold That Out. We are coming to you, like always, from the Bobby Hackett Theater on the night campus of CCRI. Be sure to check out www.ccri.edu backslash radio backslash podcasts to listen to more content from the students at the Community College of Rhode Island. Also, you can check out episodes from the show Hold That L by visiting Google Podcasts and Radio Public. Today's topics include Russell Westbrook to the LA Clippers. Does this add fuel to the make or break year I had mentioned last week? Also, the Chicago Bears. Should they trade Justin Fields? The pros and cons of that scenario. The Derek Carr saga. What is one of the best landing spots for him that is not getting any press? So let's start with the Los Angeles Clippers. So last week on the show, I had stated that it feels like this is the year the LA Clippers need to break through. They have the star players. Smart, experienced coach, depth on the roster, height, defense, and the West is not as dominant like in years past. This really feels like it's it. Also, Steve Ballmer didn't buy this team for almost $3 billion to not get a proper return on his investment, which so far, I would argue that he has not gotten. I also said that if they don't push through, I would strongly consider blowing the roster up and getting draft capital back and clearing up space on the cap to rebuild for the future. Might as well do it now while the West is a little bit down. I mean, you do it while it's strong, you end up like the Kings and you feel like you've been rebuilding for like 20 years. So the story had broke yesterday that Russell Westbrook had been bought out by the Utah Jazz and signed with the Clippers. So my takeaway from that is this. I feel he is going to look better than what he did with the Lakers. I'm not sure how much better, but I have a feeling that this is going to work in some way. You got to think of it like this. When Paul George and Russ played together in Oklahoma City with the Thunder, Carmelo Anthony was the other option. Melo, at that point in his career, was a liability on defense and wasn't the same on the offensive side of the ball resulting in bad shot selection with little or poor ball movement. Now, you're adding Kawhi Leonard in the mix, who has always been a better defender than Melo and doesn't need the ball as much as Melo on offense. However, Kawhi can still deliver anywhere from 23 to 27 a night when he's 100% healthy. Now, that's the thing. Can Kawhi eliminate the notion of him not being available? with the load management and the mysterious injuries? Can he be on the floor enough to build chemistry with Russ? That way here it can be incorporated with the rest of the team. Because every other box is basically checked off. It just boils down to Kawhi's availability and the chemistry with Russ. Aside from that, I think it's a better fit than John Wall. Russ still has a motor and can help push the ball for a fast-paced offense. I can't imagine his shooting improving. However, I feel it's not as big of an issue considering he has 
way more scorers around him. Opposed to being on the Lakers, with LeBron being squeezed like an orange for minutes at almost age 40 due to the inconsistent health of Anthony Davis. And no offense, playing with young men with little to no experience. So, we'll see. I feel the pressure is on, rightfully so. They spent a lot of money and draft capital to acquire Paul George and Kawhi. I think it's time to see the fruits of that labor. Because if it's not this year, you know the Mavs are going to make a move. You know Denver's going to try to make a move. If Denver can't push through, you know they're going to try to, you know, readjust their roster accordingly. So this, this really feels like it's it. Because it's not like if Paul George or Kawhi were to go on the trade block or hit the market, it's not like they wouldn't have suitors. Right? Like, there absolutely will be a team on the brink of competing for a title, if not already in contention to increase their chances of being able to compete. So it's very interesting how this is all going to play out. So the last few weeks, a lot of rumors and reports have surfaced that the Chicago Bears are entertaining the option of trading away their young quarterback, Justin Fields. Josh Sharrock of NBC Sports Chicago wrote an article last week in which he said, talking to people around the NFL, it's clear the only shocking thing would be if Ryan Poles, Chicago GM, did wind up trading Fields away. So let's break this down. Number one, the current GM didn't draft this quarterback. For those of you who feel that doesn't matter, it does. Look what happened to Baker Mayfield when Andrew Barry became the GM in Cleveland. Baker got out. Or how about Derek Carr when Dave Zingler came out to Las Vegas to take over that front office gig? Carr is now looking for a new home. We're not sure if Daniel Jones will be in New York much longer. Oh yeah. Dave Gettleman, the GM who drafted him, is no longer there. If you're not one of the five to eight best quarterbacks in pro football and your franchise gets a new GM, you should be concerned. Number two, the Bears need so much more work on their roster. So really, they can't gear up and spend money on pieces to support fields while also trying to budget for his contract when his rookie deal is up. If you were to shop fields, you can get draft capital back in return, and it gives you another four years to find a quarterback, either on the market or in the draft, in which you're not giving anybody max money. I would keep building this roster and do everything you can to put yourself in a position to make an offer to either grab Caleb Williams or the kid Drake May that's at North Carolina. And number three, as much as I have defended Justin Fields for his upside coming out of Ohio State, you do have to question whether or not he is a legitimate long-term answer. He fills almost all of the physical boxes, 6'3", roughly about 230 pounds, solid arm, very, very agile, athletic. Then you look at his career numbers in two years. 
not that great. 79.7 passer rating, 24 passing touchdowns to 21 interceptions, a 59.7 completion percentage. Now, the cons can be two things. Number one, he needs more time to develop and could possibly be a late boomer like Josh Allen. Unlikely, but you never know. And that would be the last thing you would want to trade him off. He goes to another team and he crushes. And now you're stuck with, oh, should we have kept him? Should we have developed him? Which leads me to number two. I could argue that it's more important than number one. What if you don't grab another quarterback that's worth moving on from Justin Fields? To me, Caleb Williams and Drake May solves that issue. Like if you can gear up and if you can finagle something that puts you in a position to grab one of those two guys, by all means, you're in business. The same principle applies. But also, does anyone believe that any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft feel like they can be a plug-and-play guy in a below-average situation like Chicago? Because we saw Andrew Luck do it, right? The Colts went 1-15 the year prior to them drafting Andrew Luck, and then he came in, crushed 11-5, went to the playoffs for three straight years. But ask yourself, does Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or Will Levis, do they feel like Andrew Luck? Because I'm going to be completely honest, I lean more on the no side, but then again, I could be completely wrong. So if I'm the Bears, I'm absolutely exploring my options, but I'm not making an impulsive decision. Make some phone calls, see what's available, and go from there. But time is moving. The draft is not that far away. Personally, if I'm Tennessee, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, or Washington, I'm picking the phone up and making some calls. See what it would cost you, weigh it out, and see where you go from there. But those four to me make sense, right? However, like I said, I wouldn't push the envelope on the time scale. I'd pick the phone up and start making some phone calls. So most of us are aware that former Raiders quarterback Derek Carr is currently a nomad. He does not have a home. Carr so far has met with New Orleans. He has also met with the New York Jets. And Carolina has been speculated to be a potential landing spot. There have been other teams that have also been lumped into the Derek Carr sweepstakes, such as Tennessee, um, John Middlecoff on the Three and Out with John Middlecoff podcast uh, had suggested that the Seattle Seahawks should make a move. And I've also heard Washington, because let's be real, they, they of all teams, they, they really need a quarterback. However, I feel that there is a dark horse team that is not being discussed. So reports had broke earlier today stating that New York Giants quarterback Daniel Jones has reportedly switched agents and is now looking 
for a salary increase upwards of $45 million. So anybody that is not a New York Giants fan obviously knows that Daniel Jones is not a $45 million quarterback, right? Like this, that, that's just flat out not a conversation, right? Like we can all aesthetically agree with that, right? I mean, for crying out loud, I push back on Dak Prescott getting almost 50 large and Dak is better in, I could argue, almost every single thing that you could possibly name him. And that had me thinking this morning as I was getting ready. Wouldn't it be so great for both Carr and the Giants? Because look at it like this. We all know Brian Dable was a home run as a head coaching hire, right? They quickly established an identity. They had a pretty solid draft. And their defense for most of last season was trending upwards. Two solid tackles on the offensive line. Saquon Barkley arguably had the best season of his career. And they have a solid receiver in Sterling Shepard who is coming back from injury. If I'm Carr, I'm trying everything in my power to try to land there. Like anything I could possibly do. You get the solid offensive-minded coach, average protection, a defense that isn't nearly as bad as what Las Vegas was last year. And you also have to take into consideration like what this would do for Derek Carr in terms of his marketability. He's going to a blue blood brand in the New York Giants in arguably the biggest city in the world. You play the Dallas Cowboys twice with their brand. You have Philadelphia with their brand who just came off of a Super Bowl appearance. And you have probably one of the more loyal fan bases in all of the sport. Also keep this in mind, it wouldn't cost the Giants really all that much other than taking on his salary However, I will add, if the Giants were to acquire Carr, me personally, I would make a trade with the Raiders and try to acquire Darren Waller. Personally, me, I would give up a Dory Jackson. And I know people are probably thinking that I'm crazy because he's an excellent corner. Let me ask you this question. In the year 2023, is a corner going to win you a Super Bowl? The Giants need a quarterback and a tight end. The Raiders need a corner. Both sides would benefit if a deal were to get made. So this way here, there's also the option of throwing Saquon Barkley on a franchise tag. And, and that gives you roughly about another year to figure out what you want to do with Saquon long term. So in theory, in a hypothetical scenario... The Giants would upgrade a quarterback, they would upgrade a tight end, and they would still keep one of the more dynamic running backs in the league. Okay, you gave up a lockdown corner. Okay, not necessarily the first option you'd want, but considering how much your offense would improve in a league that's now driven by offense, you can find a corner in the draft. As much as I hate to say it, the Jets as well feel like a solid option. The defense is there. When Brees Hall is healthy, they have the running backs. They have a star number one receiver. 
Um, they have two really, really, really nice corners. I can see where the Jets come into play. My only thing is that do you want to consistently get into a track meet with Miami? Right? Do you want to get into a heavyweight boxing match with Josh Allen? Do you want to play a methodical chess mind game with Bill Belichick? Whereas of right now, Washington does not have a long-term answer at quarterback. Philadelphia, I would imagine that they're going to be just fine, but they are starting to age. They do have a lot of free agents coming up. And there is also the Jalen Hurts situation in terms of his contract. And then you have the Cowboys, which, yes, they are stocked with talent, but you do have to question, you know, is that a group that can do more than just make it to the second round? So there are things that you do have to weigh out. But if I'm Derek's agent, I'm trying everything in my power to see if the Giants are interested. Because that, to me, just feels like a really, 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 really good fit. The Giants can start going back on big TV games. And more importantly, they can go back to what they have traditionally done throughout their history, and that's compete for Super Bowls. So, again, it's interesting how it's all going to play out. However, considering that there are now reports that Daniel Jones is looking for at least $45 million a year, where Carr is only getting 40 with more experience, I could argue better traits and better mechanics. Because my belief behind the whole thing is that if Dable can have Daniel Jones as his quarterback and make it to the playoffs, I don't really have any concern in my mind that Derek Carr wouldn't be able to do the same, if not be more productive and put the team in a better position. But then again, the Giants could be more loyal for my taste and stick with Daniel Jones, and Carr might have to explore elsewhere. Very well could be the option. But again, if I'm Derek's agent, I'm talking to him, and I would tell him, listen, I know that there are other options, and I know that they don't look as bad, but that New York Giants gig, that's where I would want to be. And finally for today, I have time to squeeze in one more topic. I would like to discuss the Dallas Mavericks and their acquisition of guard Kyrie Irving. So without getting into too many details, I think most of us are aware of the comments that Kyrie had made uh, within the last few years. Um, Again, not to really get into it, but uh, he's pissed a lot of people off and understandably so. So just recently, Kyrie was traded to Dallas for a pretty substantial haul of picks and players uh, in which Brooklyn had received in return. So the part of me that agrees with this move is that Luka Doncic 100% needs a certified two on his team. I mean, if you watched the Western Conference Finals last year when Dallas played Golden State, I mean, you could just see that Luka had been gassed because if he wasn't the one going off for like 35 with a whole bunch of other crazy stats, the team had no shot of winning. So Kyrie definitely can come in and he can alleviate that pressure in terms of scoring. However, when I look, 
the last three games that Luka and Kyrie have played together, they've lost all three. And on average, the Mavericks have been giving up 125 points on defense. Again, that's on average between the three games. That's one of the things that concerns me, is that regardless of the fact that both of them are incredibly skilled on the offensive side of the ball, it still leaves a huge gap on defense. You also, at some point, have to consider if this takes away shots from one of those guys. Like, does this decrease Luka's attempts? Does this decrease Kyrie's attempts? Does it decrease someone else's attempts that's coming off the bench, someone else that's in the starting five? And also considering Kyrie's health history between injuries and his vaccination status, is he going to be as available as what you would like? Because essentially, if that being the case, in reality, you're right back at square one because Luca would once again have to be the provider of everything on the floor, like literally everything. He is number one in every category on his team, all but one category. And that category would be blocks, which is Christian Wood, their forward. However, if they do decide to keep Kyrie past this year, and they then go out and either draft a kid that's really, really good, or they make a move in free agency or via trade once again, then that would start to make a little bit more sense. Like that gives you more clarity. Because if Mark Cuban is solely banking on Kyrie Irving to come in and be the sole provider of alleviating all the pressure off of Luka, I don't want to say that it's not possible, but I do think it's a pretty strong gamble. Also, you have to think Mark Cuban really should have more pressure on him to put a really, really solid team around Luka. Because if you look back when... Dirk was playing for the Mavs. All those years that Dirk was playing, you could really only name a couple years on your hands, like in terms of like the Mavs being a title contender, which sounds really poor when you say it out loud, considering that within the last 25 years, I think it's more than fair to say Dirk is easily one of the 10 to 15 best players that the NBA has seen within the last 25 years. And they only have one championship to show from it. Two appearances, however, one championship. Does he really want to go through the same thing with Luka Doncic? An insanely, insanely talented overseas player that brings in all this hype, has all this skill, puts up all these crazy numbers, but you just go through his career and it all falls back essentially on the ownership in the front office for not putting the correct pieces in place. Like if you ask me, it should be clear and obvious to learn from the previous mistake. I don't want to say it was necessarily a mistake because Dirk, you know, essentially at the end of the day did bring you home a championship But you feel sometimes if you think about it like Dirk should have won maybe just a little bit more 
right? Like he's absolutely a um, a Hall of Famer and one of, if not the greatest international players of all time, right? What's that old saying? The probability of lightning hitting in the same place twice is really unlikely. Well, in Mark Cuban's case, lightning did hit twice because he not only got one of the greatest international players of all time, he has another one that absolutely is on pace to be in that same discussion if he isn't already. So overall, I feel like if there aren't more moves made in the future, I kind of feel like this is a little bit of a head scratcher. However, given what their plan is in the next few years in terms of how they're going to construct the roster, I think this is more of a we're going to have to wait and see. I do want to acknowledge and give him the prop for making a move in terms of trying right now to get another piece around Luka, but I just wouldn't stop here. However, too, also keep in mind you also want to watch how Kyrie acts from now till the end of this year completely. If he's a good soldier, if he's turned a new leaf, if he has a different perspective on things, then okay, you go from there. But if the writing is still on the wall that he's still the same character, Again, it goes back to the head-scratching theory. But I think it's a little too early to give a conclusion, though I do feel right now it don't really look all that great considering they've lost three straight and that the defense isn't really getting all that much better. Long-term, if the right moves are made, I'm okay with it. However, if there aren't that many more big moves that are on the way, this does look like a little bit of a head-scratcher. Considering that you did give up a pretty decent amount of draft capital and you gave away a pretty good player in Spencer Dinwiddie. Nonetheless, it is an absolutely polarizing move. It creates great content for my show and other shows across the country. But I would imagine with most Dallas Mavericks fans, there has to be some sort of an empty feeling in the sense of what else is coming. Like, what is the next move? Because if this is the only one, then I think we might have a little bit of a problem. This is a CCRI radio podcast. New content every week from students at the Community College of Rhode Island. Listen, watch, read, and get involved at ccri.edu slash studentmedia.